Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. What's up, everybody? You in a good mood this morning? Yeah, okay, good. A couple people over here, that's good. Got the sleepy crowd back there, didn't hear anything from y'all. It's all right. If you got a Bible, I want to ask you to open up to Genesis 35. We're going to hop around in a not-so-sequential order through this whole series. So if you're a a sequential person, I apologize in advance. We're going to hop all over the place. You'll understand why as we do this. But we are kicking off a new series this weekend entitled The Name Changer. The Name Changer. And the reason is because when you study Scripture and you read through God's Word, you see from time to time... God changed a human's name. It was so funny to preach this last night because I, I'm, the more I do this job, the more I learn about the human condition. And uh, let me hit the pause button here and remind everybody, if you haven't already voted, to vote on Tuesday, okay? Part of the human condition in the country in which we live we have a responsibility as a part of the kingdom of God to represent our God as we go to vote, all right? So make sure if you haven't voted already, go and vote, okay? All right. And please make sure you take the Holy Spirit into the booth with you. Let me just say that, okay? You were bought with a price. I don't want to go too far down this road, but make make sure you take him in there with you. He's not asking for your opinion. He's asking you to represent him. Okay, so take him in there with you, all right? Okay, sorry. Back to it, all right? Uh, It was so funny to watch this last night because as I learn more about the human condition, the more I do this job, uh, people forget that a series is a journey. And I'm reminded every time I do a, a sermon that some people are like, I want the finish line now. Okay, so what we're talking about in this series is identity, all right? And, and week one, this is really week one, week two, are, are, it's kind of one message. It's a two-part sermon. And week one, this weekend, I would consider an identity detox. Okay, But what was so funny at Altar Ministry last night, people were like, but give me the rest of my life's work right now tonight. No, no, no. No, you need to detox some of the lies you've believed. You need to spend the next week of your life processing through some of these lies called labels. That's actually what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about, or today, we're talking about labels. Next week, we'll talk about names. This whole series is really on Jacob, not on uh, many of the other humans whose names were changed by God. Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Uh, Go all the way to the New Testament, Simon to Peter, Saul to Paul. Our God appears to be, at times, a name changer. Changes the name. And so before I can teach you about names using Jacob, I got to teach you about labels. And the title of today's message is, what did you just call me? (laughs) Anybody remember on the playground when somebody came up to you and tried to call you a name you didn't like how you responded? What did you just call me? Now, maybe you were more affable when you were growing up. Uh, I wasn't as affable. And so when somebody tried to stick a label on me that didn't describe me, what were we quick to do? 
point out how stupid it was, right? But here's one of the things I've learned. A lot of people are better in the sixth grade at rejecting labels than they are at 60. So if you're wondering why we must talk about this in church, I will tell you the reason right here, right now, because probably more than half of the people in this room are living according to a label God disagrees with. And if you are living down to, because we don't live up to an ungodly label, we live down to it. We live up to a godly name, we live down to an ungodly label. When you are living according to an ungodly label, you might think it doesn't affect the rest of your life, but it always does. And here's one of the things you have to remember about yourself. You are complicated. There is no one label that can describe you in your entirety. Not even child of God. And that, that might ruffle some of your feathers. That's definitely a label. It's a part of who I am. It's a godly label, but it doesn't describe me in my entirety. Because I know lots of children of God that are dramatically different than one another. You're too complicated to be boiled down to one label or description. I want to show you a couple of things, three points in this message. First is a question, and it's this. What are labels, and why are they so dangerous? And we'll get to Genesis 35 in a sec and start talking about Jacob and his family. But what are labels, and why are they so dangerous? Here's my definition of a label. A label is an adjective given to you by either someone you love or a number of someones in your life, which they use to describe you, but God would never say about you. Okay, this is a label. And I'm not going to talk too much about names this weekend, but here's my definition of a name. A name is an identifier. Sounds like identity. A name is an identifier someone puts on you or bestows on you when they've heard from your father. Labels are the opinion of man. Names come from the mouth of God. This is why God would change names. You'll see this as we talk about Jacob over the next month and a half. Genesis 35, if you have opened there, let's read together in verse 16. This isn't Jacob. This is actually one of his sons. And this, in my opinion, is one of the ugliest moments of labeling, especially in a family, in all of Scripture. And I want you to see this so that you can understand the power of a label. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense, severely painful is what that word literally means. So things, things took a sharp turn, unexpected. Ladies, she's going through a very scary delivery of this baby boy. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid. You have another son. Rachel was about to die. Okay, don't look at, at the book. Look at me for a sec. Because sometimes we read, we read scripture and we read these stories and we think that's all they are, stories. These are moments in history that actually transpired. And it helps if you will put yourself in these moments. So ladies, I need you to understand. To put yourself in Rachel's position. I'm not going to ask the men to because that might get weird, okay? But ladies, think about this. And men, think about if this was your wife. Very scary delivery. So scary 
that she realizes she's about to die, that giving my son life is costing me mine. This is where her thinking is right now. She's about to die, and watch this. But with her last breath, think about all the things you could do with your last breath. And watch what Rachel does with her. She names the baby, I would submit to you, labels the baby, Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. She looks at the baby, her second son. Remember, Rachel's first son was whom? Joseph. She's giving birth to her second son with her last breath. She looks at the baby and curses him. Here's my paraphrase. You've cost me my life. And you're going to be named son of my sorrow. I don't care what you are to everybody else. To me, you're son of my sorrow. And she does. I bet right now some of you are thinking about moments in your past where someone in your family, someone you loved, stuck a label on you. Think about being this baby. He hadn't even opened his mouth yet. He hadn't even done anything but cry. He hadn't even eaten his first meal and someone is already sticking upon him. Someone that loves him is sticking upon him a label. Now we'll talk about the rest of this passage later in the series because it's actually quite powerful. But this is the ugly setup of ungodly labeling. Here's one of the things you need to understand about labeling. Usually when people attach a label to you, they attach their emotions to your label. This wasn't just some phrase that Rachel spoke out. This was a very hard delivery. The midwife exclaims, so she screams. Why is she screaming? Probably because Rachel was. When Rachel utters these words, she probably didn't whisper them. She attached her emotion to this label she gives her son. Some of you have certain labels that have stuck to you for years and years and years and possibly even decades that are more powerful than a name and you've never been able to figure out why. Here's why. Somebody didn't just stick a label on you. They attached their emotion to your label. And so it creates a heaviness. The weight of your label is usually measured by the depth of your love for that person and the strength of their emotion towards you. That's how the weight of a label is discerned. Let me kind of... Uh, give you a couple of examples of how this works. And I, I understand these are parental examples, but I'm just using this because it's probably easiest for us to understand. Here's how easy it is to slap a label on a child as a parent. Our last child or our youngest child was a total surprise. It's a label. And I'm not talking about our youngest baby was an absolute surprise, a gift from God. You know what I'm talking about. A tone that says, 
we did not ask for this last child. And some of us might kind of chuckle at that. You don't chuckle if you're the baby who heard mommy say, I never asked God for this baby. I'm too old to do this again. And here's what that baby feels in in terms of weight attached to this label. You didn't want me? How does that affect how you see me and how much you love me? How about this one? Our middle child is the difficult one. See, now y'all are getting wiser. You're not laughing out loud. (laughs) Our middle child is the difficult one. We might laugh at that unless you're the middle child. Who feels one season of your life where you made some mistakes and choices you wish you could have over again, you've become labeled as the most difficult of all of your siblings. How about this one? Our oldest child just has to learn the hard way. You see how easy this is? See, we just act like we can say things without consequence. But here's the problem. When you put a label on somebody, you need to understand you have the power in labeling them to change their life. Now, I'm going to help you see by the end of this series, if your name is changed, your identity is changed in Christ, you also, I believe, have the power to change your name, to prophetically speak over someone. But on the flip side of that coin, you can speak a curse over them. By labeling them. Scripture's clear and says, in your anger, do not sin. That's Ephesians 4. Parents, what's one of the worst sins that we can commit in our anger? I'll tell you my opinion. One of the worst sins is calling your child something their father, heavenly father, would never call them. It's one of the worst sins, in my opinion, that a parent can commit in their anger. Why? Because a label is a curse. Rachel was cursing her son. She wasn't naming him. She was cursing him. A label is a curse and name is a blessing. Now, let's talk about the danger. What's so dangerous about labels? First, Satan wants the labels on you to serve as the ceilings over you. So think about it. A label like this. You're terrible with money. He wants that label to stick to you so that you will mentally and emotionally and personally see it as a ceiling so that you will never be able to reflect the image of your heavenly father being the giver you were created to be. Every label Satan tries to put on you, his desire is for it to serve as a ceiling over you. This is why you should get ticked off every time somebody tries to put an ungodly label on you. Again, what's an ungodly label? Any label, any name, any description, the God of the universe, your creator, your heavenly father would vehemently disagree with. If it upsets him, it should upset you. Yet what do many of us do, especially if it's from someone we trust? We don't just hear it, we believe it. And it becomes a ceiling. Labels are lies about you, which Satan wants you to believe are the truth about you. There's an even better way to say it. Satan wants his lies about you to be adopted by you as your perspective of you. 
How many of us have ever fallen into that trap? I don't know how many hours I've spent in ministering to people in counseling type situations, just trying to help them understand the thought process they have originates from the belief that a lie is actually the truth. If I were your enemy, I would lie to you about you too. Want to know why? Because it confuses you. Here's point number two. Labels come early and often in life. If you're in Genesis 35, go back 10 chapters to Genesis 25. Now we're going to step into Jacob's birth. Because I want you to see, this, this is really uh, intriguing to me how his birth goes down. And I'm actually going to jump out of sequence so you can see this. Genesis 25, verses 24 through 26. When the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. It's a great description. Any, any, any of us have really furry babies right out of the womb? You know, fuzzballs? Okay. Baby number one, baby boy number one from Rebecca and Isaac was a fuzzball with red hair. Look at what scripture says. So, here's what that so means. Because of this previous information, these facts, because of this, they named baby number one Esau. I would submit to you, they didn't name him, they labeled him. You know what Esau means? Harry. <laughs> Not H-A-R-R-Y. H-A-A-R-Y. So every time they called the name Esau, it was really more like a nickname. Hey, Fuzzball, where are you at? Hairy arms. It, it was a label. It was considered a name, but I don't think it was actually a name. It was a label. And I want you to see this, right? Keep going with Jacob. Verse 26. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Okay, so get the picture. Baby number one pops out. It appears breach. So head first. Right? Oh, breach is the other way around, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, see, you can tell. I wasn't the one that pushed them out. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Ladies, you are amazing, okay? I told Holly after we had Riley, listen, uh, if you never want to have another baby, I won't blame you. Okay? Like God and I, we've been talking since I was, you know, 15 about how many children. But listen, if you want to stop after one, you have earned that right. I'm, I, I will not stop you. Okay? So <laughs> here's, here's the picture. Baby number one pops out. Baby number two is about to pop out. But what is seen first is his hand holding on to the ankle of his big brother, his twin. Watch this. So... Remember, what does that word so mean? Because of this information, they named, again, I submit, labeled him Yaakov, Jacob, which means heel grabber. Clearly, they didn't live in, in the day in which we live, where everybody's trying to come up with the most creative names. This was just, oh, he grabbed his heel. Let's call him heel grabber. Unfortunately, Yaakov also means deceiver. 
And we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. They labeled him this at birth. And unfortunately, for the first part of his life, he lived down to this label. Here's what I need you to see before I read you verses 19 through 23, just before what I read just now. Labels are based on what man sees and thinks. Names are founded upon what God knows and says. Now let me show it to you. Look in verse 19 of Genesis 25. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Hit the pause button. This is a genius life hack right here. She has a question about something going on on the inside of her, and what is her first thought? I think I'm going to go inquire of the one who created me. Now, please hear my heart. I'm not, I'm not taking shots at anybody, but it wasn't to pick up the phone and call my counselor, which I believe in godly counseling. It wasn't to pick up the phone and call my mentor. That can be a part of the conversation. Look at her first move. She goes, something is happening on the inside of me. I think I should inquire of the one who created me. So she does. She asks the Lord. She says, why is this happening to me? And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. Notice it does not say one nation will be weak. God is saying both of these boys are so strong, they're going to become nations. One is stronger than the other. It doesn't say one is weak and one is strong. It says one will be stronger than the other. Your older son will serve your younger son. Okay. This is upside down. God's speaking about these two baby boys. This is before she gives birth to them. Now remember, how does she name them? She names them based off what she can see and how she thinks about what she sees. Oh, red furry hair, hairy. Oh, first thing I saw about you, heel grabber. Bam. Okay, think about this. God had spoken to her about the strength of these children. In my opinion, had she have named them according to what God had said about them, they would have never gotten labels like they did. God said nothing about one of them being a heel grabber and deceiver. He actually said that one is going to be even stronger than the older one. But she doesn't name the baby with anything having to do with strength and nothing to do with what God said. She labels the child based off what she can see. I would like to ask you humbly and sweetly a question. Have you ever been wrong before in your life? I've been wrong probably three times since I started this sermon. <laughs> You've been wrong at least five times since you woke up this morning. Okay. So help me understand why the strategy of doing anything based off what I can see. Remember, how does faith come? 
Faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. One of the biggest mistakes we can make as followers of Jesus, of Jesus Christ is to begin to make our decisions based off what we can see and what we think. Rather than off of what God knows and says. This is the difference between labels and names. Now, if you're in Genesis 25, I want you to flip over two chapters to Genesis 27. I'm only going to read one verse because I want to teach you quickly about two really big lies that come with labels. All right? And in this one verse, we see both of these lies. And it's verse 36. Don't read it yet, but I'll, I'll catch you up to where we are. Remember the prophetic word God gives, this word God speaks over the boys, the younger will be even more powerful than the older. Okay, that's upside down in their culture. The oldest would have a blessing the rest didn't have. But God says, no, this is going to be upside down. Well, we see Yaakov and his mother pull some strings in order to steal the firstborn's birthright and blessing. And this is what has transpired right before what we're about to read in Genesis 27, verse 36. Esau now sees that he has lost the blessing of the firstborn. Remember, he had already traded the birthright of the firstborn for some soup. Homie, that soup better have been life-changing. It better have been like my wife's potato soup. Because anything outside of that, that, a birthright for a bowl of soup? But he did. Incidentally, this is why God said when they were in the womb, the younger will be more powerful. Here's why. Because the oldest, Esau, he viewed his birthright and blessing of the firstborn with contempt. He did not see it the way God did. And because he couldn't see it the way God did, he couldn't steward it the way God would ask. And so it was given to his younger twin, Jacob. And watch how Esau responds to losing the, the blessing after he's lost the birthright. Esau exclaims. That word means he screams. No wonder his name is Yaakov, deceiver. For now, he has cheated me twice. Okay, so notice, he doesn't just call him the label. He points to facts, behaviors. Okay? Watch what he says next. First, he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he's stolen my blessing. Okay, two things you see here. Esau points to the little liar's behavior attached to the label of deceiver. He's tricked me, this little trickster. But then the second thing he says is he, he shows the label he believed he had. And what do you think that was? Victim. First, he stole my birthright. Wrong. Wrong. You traded it, bro. The, don't change. Don't revise history. You traded. He didn't steal the birthright. You traded it. And now he's stolen my blessing too. Okay. Yeah, the, definitely tricky trick to get that one. But you hear Esau saying, I've been victimized. Okay, so this one verse shows us the two big lies associated with labels. Here's lie number one. What you did is who you are. 
This is a lie. What you did is who you are. Books are what we read to learn a lesson, but mistakes are often how we learn the most important lessons. See, the reason some of us think that what we've done is who we are is because we don't understand educational mistakes in the eyes of God. See, we think mistakes are bad. And because mistakes are bad, that therefore means when I make mistakes, I am bad. Because mistakes are bad. Anybody ever seen that movie, Meet the Robinsons? We were watching this last night as a family. Absolutely genius lessons. We're watching this with uh, our uh, little boy that we're fostering. And it's such a powerful lesson. And one of the things, it was about mistakes. The, the peanut butter, and if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, but go watch it. It's fantastic. The peanut butter and jelly goes all over the house. And the little boy thought he fixed the invention, but he didn't. He made it mess up and go everywhere. And they start celebrating. You failed. Great mistake. Like they're cheering him on. It's genius. But it's completely counterintuitive to what we actually believe ourselves. We think mistakes are bad. And since mistakes are bad, when I make a mistake, I therefore am bad. I don't think that's how God sees mistakes. Do you remember when you were in school and you had that teacher when you would bomb a test and the teacher would allow you to retake the test for partial credit? Anybody have a teacher like that? Okay, those are my second favorite teachers. You know what my first kind of teacher was that, that was my favorite? Teachers who gave open book tests. Those are the awesome teachers, okay? So teachers, we love you, especially if you allow us to use the book, okay? Uh, we're, we're, we're very, very grateful for, I was going to say, those of us who uh, aren't as intellectually inclined as others, we celebrate your graciousness to offer the book as an aid during the test. I believe God is a father, a teacher, the teacher, who doesn't just administrate tests. He loves to take them with us. And when we bomb them, it's his grace and mercy that I believe comes to us and says, would you like to retake that test? Preston, do you want that 43 on your GPA? Uh, no, Lord, I don't. Would you like to retake that test? Yes, Lord, I would. And I retake it. And this time, I get a 71. Preston, would you like this 71 to be on your GPA? No, Lord, I would not. Would you like to retake this test? Yes, Lord. Okay, before you take it, let me teach you a couple more things. Okay, now go retake the test. This time, I get an 87. Preston, is this the grade you would like on your GPA? No, Lord, it's not. Would you like to retake this test? Yes, Lord, I would. Okay, let me teach you a couple more things. Now go retake the test. Well, this is how my marriage has gone. <laughs> she understands marriage. <laughs> the rest of y'all are totally judgmental. <laughs> I would love to sit down and have a grace-based conversation. You know how many times I've had to retake a test in my marriage with my kids? The goal isn't perfection. The goal is constant progress. 
You can't convince me that you can live your life without making mistakes. I make them every day. And if you convince yourself you don't, the only way to never make mistakes is to never show up for the examinations. It's the only way. God is the kind of father who says, hey, you want to retake the test? I'm gracious. And I've given you my book. Would you like to use that on the test? Yes, Lord. That's like the best calculator. Remember in math when you got to use the scientific calculator, you could hide the answers on? Sorry, teachers, you may not know that that's, that's a possibility. <laughs> that's what God's word is. See, we look at mistakes and we say, they're bad, that means I'm bad when I make them. Here's what you have to remember. The godly aren't defined by their mistakes. The godly are known for their response to their mistakes and defined by their God's response to their mistakes. What is God's response to my mistakes? As a son of God, what are his responses to my mistakes? Preston, would you like to be forgiven for this? <laughs> yes, Lord. So you would, you would like not to be defined by this? No, Lord, I don't want to be defined by this. I want to be forgiven of this. I don't want this hold against me, held against me for the rest of my life, let alone eternity. So then I forgive you. Now let's learn. Let's talk about what you can learn. Because you're going to have to take this test many more times in your life. Okay, Lord. Proverbs 24, verse 16. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. This is the response the sons and daughters of God must be known for. We cannot come across as perfectionists because then we push away anybody who's aware of the fact they make mistakes. What good is the gospel if you're perfect? We should actually embrace. Now, this is not an excuse to sin. Don't take my words out of context. But we should actually embrace a culture of mistakes. If you think the church is meant to be a place of perfection, what do you do with Proverbs 14.4? One of my favorite leadership verses. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. Here's my paraphrase, and you can go look it up in your, your translation. But the only way to experience an abundant harvest is with oxen. You know what that means? People are messy. This is why we need the Messiah. Because I'm messy. I'm a man in progress. Don't label me based off what you see today. You're just catching me in a season. You know how many, how many people get labeled for a, for a temporary season? They get a long-term label. Oh, that person is struggling. Maybe, maybe it's just a six-month season. And you're going to give them a lifetime label? What is that like? That's calling someone based off what you see and what you think, not based off what God knows and what God says. Here's the other half of this coin, Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Notice it doesn't say when they stumble, he slaps them and spanks them. Yes, I'm disciplined, but he catches me every time I trip. 
Again, not an excuse to intentionally trip. Here's the second lie. Satan wants you to believe as it relates to your label. You are what was done to you. I want to be very careful with this one. But from time to time, I get the opportunity, I would call it the blessed opportunity, to spend time with some people who have had some things, horrific things done to them earlier on in life. And I don't want to speak specifically to what those things could be because I don't want to reintroduce trauma. But I want you to know, if something ungodly was done to you, I love you too much to push far from that point of pain. I'm not trying to re-traumatize. I'm actually trying to bring light into a dark place. The enemy has not just tried to occupy for years of your life, he's tried to own it. And with all of my heart, I believe this weekend, God wants to do some liberating from some ungodly labels, especially those who have bought the lie, I am what was done to me. What was done to me is who I am. And if that's the lie Satan has convinced you to believe as the truth, I want to remind you, that's not you. It's just what was done to you. Now, I don't want to minimize. Okay? And, and the illustration I'm about to give you, please hear my heart. I'm not trying to compare. I'm trying just to show you that when I, when I spend time with people like this, where they had something done to them as a child, especially, that God despises. And they will use a phrase like this, this is always going to be a part of who I am. And I don't try and argue with them, I just try to lovingly shine light on a darkened perspective. I understand how that feels to be true, but I don't believe that to be true. And so I try and tell them a story like this. The worst loss I ever experienced playing basketball was my last game my senior year of high school. My older cousin, one year older than me, had just graduated, much better basketball player than me. Several of our better players also graduated with him. This was my chance as the oldest on the team to show I could lead our team. And we get to the playoffs, first round, and we, we never should have lost, but we did. And truth be told, I was part of the reason. What would it be like? Okay, I played hundreds of games in my career. What would it be like if 30 years later, 25 years later, I am describing myself off of one game from a career I have not been in for 25 years? You came up to me. You didn't know I was the pastor of the church. You said, hi, what's your name? And my response was this, loser. Loser? Like that's your name? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Really, it's just a label, but it's a label I believe so strongly, I call it a name. My name's Loser. Why is your name Loser? Well, see, thing is, I was a decent basketball player in high school, last game of my career, should have won. I wasn't quite good enough, and we lost. Therefore, since I lost, I am a loser. Please hear my heart. I'm not trying to trivially compare a silly game to an abusive moment in someone's past. But I'm trying to, I gotta be careful with the language I use with this. 
I am trying to push back by the power of the Holy Spirit that enemy who is behind you whispering into your ear, what was done to you is you. That is not how God talks. You're not a loser. You're not an abuse victim. Yes, you were victimized. But please don't believe the lie. That's who you are and that's who you will die being. Jesus came to set the captive free and heal the brokenhearted. You don't have to buy the lie. So don't. I get it's gross. I get it's disgusting. I get that there's shame attached to it. And it's not even a decision you made. It's a decision someone else made. Being led by God's enemy to victimize you. Please understand, I, I am not making light of this. I'm trying to make light that this isn't you. It was one stop along the way to where you are today. Just like that loss was for me. It's not my identity. It's just a moment in my history. Let me say this. If we talk about labels, if you believe the lie that what was done to me is me, here's what I need you to think like this. If that's how you believe, then here's what you're doing. The person who did that to you, if you give them the ability to label you, you are giving them power over you. What was done to you isn't you. Here's the third point, and we'll take communion together. Labels don't have to stick even if you deserve them. This one's awesome for someone like me. If you've been at this church for any amount of time, you've probably heard me say that in the earlier years of my life, I was an absolute legend of a liar. I reached legendary status if there is such a thing. I told so many lies. I told lies about what my dad did for a living. My dad was big in the stock market. I mean, I made up so many things and lied to so many people as a child. I was legendary as it related to lying. But if you've been here for a while, you've probably picked up on that I have no problem talking about an old label. Here's why. Because over time, God helped me learn this spiritual principle, that there is a heavenly substance that removes, literally removes the stickiness of earthly labels so that they fall off of you. Want to know what that heavenly substance is? The blood of Jesus. Yeah. Call me whatever you want. This has been my running joke for years with my, my baby brother. I don't care what you call me, just so long as you call me. I don't care. It's okay. Here's why. When I look in the mirror, I don't see your labels for me. I see the blood of Jesus. That's what you need to see. If you see your beauty today and only your beauty because you're on a hot streak in life, here's what I promise you will happen tomorrow. You'll only see blemishes. I don't want to see beauty or blemishes. I just want to see the blood. The foundation of my life is not my behavior, my performance. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean I can behave however I want. 
but my identity isn't wrapped up in what I've done, what I do, or what's been done to me. My identity, the foundation of my identity as a son of God is the purchase price that was paid for me, the blood of Jesus. So you can throw your labels at me, but I've learned the blood of Jesus removes all the earthly stickiness of ungodly labels. So we're going to take communion together. And I just want to paint a picture for those of you who may be living according to an ungodly label before we take communion. I just kind of imagine that on the day of judgment, just go with me. This is a little bit of a a dramatic, creative uh, display of my perspective. But it's, it's theologically accurate, not in the picture it paints, but in its undergirding, okay? I'm just kind of being a little a little creatively overdramatic, okay? I just wonder if on the day of judgment, if Satan doesn't try and set things up like this, like it was a court of law, with the father as the judge and the son as the defense attorney, defending me, child of God, the prosecuting attorney, Satan himself. And on that day, my name is called James Preston Morrison. And I stand up. And just as quickly as I stand up, the prosecuting attorney, Satan himself, stands up, holding up a sheet of paper like this that just scrolls down. He says, Your Honor, the prosecution would like to submit exhibits A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z, A, A, B, B, C, C, D, D, and goes through 8X. This is the body of work of James Preston Morrison. And at the top of the page, in all caps, it says, LEGENDARY LIAR. Your Honor, I'd like to quote out of your very own book, the rules for people like James Preston Morrison, Revelation 21 verse 8, Cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Your Honor, you said all liars. This isn't just a liar. This is one of the legendary liars. Your Honor, we move to have James Preston Morrison immediately, post-haste, thrown into the lake of fire based on your words. And here are the facts. And as Satan, the prosecuting attorney, kind of pins his shoulders back like, I made another great case. My defense attorney stands up. Says, Your Honor, since we're reading out of your book, I would like to read Colossians 2, which clearly communicates on historical record what it was that I myself did for James Preston Morrison. Colossians 2, verse 14, he canceled. Your Honor, just in case anyone in this courtroom, and I think Jesus might look over at the prosecuting attorney, just in case anyone is unclear on who he is, he is me. I canceled the record of the charges against James Preston Morrison and took them away by nailing them to the cross. I think he'd be looking at me when he says that. And then I think he looks at the prosecuting attorney and says this next part. In this way, I disarm the spiritual rulers and authorities trying to mess with him. 
I shamed you publicly by my victory over you on the cross. Your Honor, I'd just like to remind you that that long list of facts that the prosecuting attorney is holding up to condemn my client, I'd like it to be known. That sheet of facts was nailed beneath my feet. And every drop of blood I spilled, spilled on those pages. And your honor, those aren't words you can see. That's my blood. James Preston Morrison is mine. He is mine. The prosecution might call him this, 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 and this. Your honor, I know according to your book what you're asking me. What do I call him? I call him mine. And then I wonder if Jesus won't just look at me and go, go on in, kid. This is a forever kind of love. I don't deserve it. I did everything I thought I could do to disqualify myself. But the blood is better than my best attempt to try and end the love of God for me. Would you bow your, your heads and close your eyes? We're going to take communion together. Uh, just before we even think about the elements, I want you just to take a moment in the presence of God. The spirit of the living God is in this place. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there a label that I've been living down to? Is there a label or are there labels? Un ungodly words about me, the God of the universe disagrees with vehemently. Holy Spirit, would you begin to show me the labels, the lies I've believed and made a part of my identity? If you need the elements, there are people walking up and down the aisles. You can just raise your hand and they'll make sure you have the elements. I would ask that you would participate with me and us in this only if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to go ahead and take out the wafer. And once you have the wafer in one hand, the cup in the other, I would ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes again. It's so funny, we live in a day where when people realize they're unhealthy, they look to do what's called a detox. They go without certain things, but they also and oftentimes, with a detox comes a liquid fast. There is no better identity detox a human will ever experience than the blood of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And before we take communion together, I want to ask a question. Are there any among us who in the last couple minutes 
They felt the Holy Spirit say, there's a label where there are labels you've been living down to. And today, we're going to remove them forever. If that's you with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you just to stand up right where you are. The Holy Spirit illuminated a label. Shoot, some of you knew the label and didn't even have to ask the Holy Spirit. Because you hear it spoken over you every morning of your life to start your day. Who else? Yep, yep. Don't wrestle with this. We're going to talk about wrestling with God next week. Don't wrestle with the enemy over your identity. Shove it in his face and stand in the presence of God. There's a label I've been living down to. I want it ripped off of me forever. Okay. We're all going to do this together, sons and daughters of God Most High. But for those standing, I've been praying that this moment would just hit differently for you. That what happens next could not be done by a human being. Could not be attributed to a donkey on a stage. I've been praying that what happens next can only be attributed to the God of the universe. The one who has all power in heaven and on earth. That night, those closest to Jesus had no idea what was about to go down. And Jesus took that bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat this bread, I want you to remember me. Remember what motivated me. Greater love hath no man than to lay his life down for his friends. This bread represents my body, which I willingly laid down to the point of death for you because I love you. Jesus says, we take this bread. I pray, especially those standing, I pray the love of Jesus would begin to wash over us. Jesus, we receive an outpouring of your love, the likes of which we've never experienced before. Jesus, as we take this bread, as your love washes over us, we don't just remember you. We are grateful for you and your love for us. Let's take the bread. I can peel back the cup. The love of Jesus washing over us. Now one of my favorite things, if not the favorite thing, I get to be bathed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, before we take this cup representing your blood, 
I pray that the blood of Jesus would just begin washing over us. Grace, mercy. It doesn't just cover my blemishes, it removes my sin forever. Jesus, especially for those for whom the enemy has been trying to wreak havoc in their minds related to their identity. That what they did is who they are, or what was done to them is who they'll always be. Jesus, I pray your blood would begin just to wash over their minds, bodies, wills, and emotions. Cover them in exhibit A for every son and daughter of Jesus Christ, the blood. Jesus, we thank you for shedding your blood to cover all of my embarrassing paperwork Satan would love to throw before the judge. Jesus, you bled out to cover all of our sin. Wash us in your blood all over again. Let's take the cup. Would you stand? At the end of your row, there's a receptacle on the right side, your right. You'll just pass that down. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward as everyone's standing. I asked for a lot of help this weekend with the prayer team, and here's why. Because if you stood to take communion, I'm going to ask you to take one more step. See, one of the reasons why I'm intentional about communicating my story and my history about my ungodly labels that I deserved is to remind myself and my enemy in front of God and man, I'm not that man anymore. I'm not just covered in the blood. I've made choices to never go back to being that man. We're going to talk about that in the days to come, but here's the deal. Satan loves to convince us that shame comes with labels. But I've been trying to teach you for years that in Christ, there is no condemnation. No matter the label and how much I deserve it. And so I gladly talk about what God set me free from. If you stood to take communion after everybody is dismissed and starts going that way, I want every single one of you to come. And I want you just to out loud, whatever the label or labels the Holy Spirit identified before communion, I want you just to say them out loud. And I'm going to ask two things of everybody praying. I want you to do two things. At some point in every one of these ministry moments, I want you, when you feel led by the Holy Spirit, just to say these words, to speak them over the sons and daughters of God. That's not your name. That's not your name. You don't have to yell it. You don't have to scream it but you're gonna hear it strongly. So when you feel led, I want you to, to declare that over them. But then also, I wanna remind you, those of you praying, the gift of prophecy 
is active in this room. It happened last night. There were people going, give, give me a step-by-step -step process for my identity. No, 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 you need a word from God before I give you the steps. So Brooke and I were praying with somebody and God literally gave a word. He spoke over her. That's not your name, that's a label. Your name is Sarah, mother of many. And then God laid out how to kick the enemy in the face. So please, if you stood to take communion, because you felt the Holy Spirit saying, we're getting these labels off today, forever. As everybody else leaves, come pray with somebody. If there's some trauma in your past that comes with the label, here's what I'd ask. I'd ask you to wait for one of the pastors on staff. Not because anybody else can't handle it, but just to protect your privacy, to handle it as best as possible, all right? Ladies with ladies, men with men, please, all right? Okay, please, if you stood up, don't leave. I'm begging you. I don't often beg you, I'm begging you. I really think God said, I'm gonna do something that hasn't been done in their lives. And it's not gonna come down to these people or me or you. God wants to do something. You just need to take a step and step out of an old label in the beginning of stepping into a new name, all right? Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.